there was a lot of finger pointing in Jesus' last moments. All because of an offhand comment Jesus made during supper. Mark tells us when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. This was a startling announcement for each of the men dining with Jesus. Not only does he know the identity of someone nefariously conspiring against him, but Jesus intensifies this scandal further by stating that one, that the betrayer is not only an outsider, but he's an insider. It is someone currently sharing a meal with him, a sign or indication of friendship and camaraderie. One of the Son of God's closest friends is a traitor. This bitter revelation understandably causes quite the stir around the table. And interestingly, each of the four canonical Gospels retell the reaction by the twelve slightly different. While they all generally sound the same, and each Gospel will eventually point the finger at Judas Iscariot, there are still some notable, subtle nuances and variations in their narration of the disciples' reaction to Jesus' prophetic comment. Luke has them exchanging questions with each other to determine who Jesus is talking about. John notes a private exchange between Simon Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved. Matthew and Mark sound the most similar to each other. However, Matthew breaks away from Mark as he cannot help but resolve this likely anxious moment in the upper room. Matthew mentions that Judas will eventually point blank ask Jesus if he's the one being referred to with Jesus confirming his suspicions. But Mark's different. He's unique. Maybe that's why he's my favorite. His reaction by the twelve is a bit more ambiguous and open to interpretation. Can I offer you a possible reading this evening? Mark doesn't resolve the tension in the room. Rather, he decides to prolong it. He lets the uncertainty and the confusion and tension marinate a bit longer than the other Gospels. In a way, it's almost palpable. Mark says in response to Jesus' comment, They, the twelve, began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it Another way of translating this could be, it isn't me, is it? Each disciple, Peter, Bartholomew, Andrew, Thomas, go down the line, take their turn asking Jesus, it isn't me, is it? But Jesus in Mark never tells them. Mark leaves the conversation open-ended. Judas is never singled out at the meal. He is elsewhere, but not here at the table. Jesus does say it is someone who is dipping bread into the dish with me, but Mark doesn't specify in that moment who it is. 
Matthew resolves this question for us, but Mark leaves it on a dire cliffhanger. Matthew seems to interpret this as an internal question of capability within the disciples, whereas Mark seems to suggest this is a reflective question of culpability within the disciples. Mark is less concentrated on Judas's individual mutiny, though he doesn't deny it. But instead, Mark centers on all of the disciples' mutiny. When I read Mark, I hear him suggesting that each disciple in that upper room believed himself responsible or deserving blame either because they could or they have or they will betray Jesus. Somehow, they all betrayed him. And while this takeaway can be drawn from the other Gospels, I see it most clearly in Mark. And when Jesus mentioned the reality of a traitor in their midst, their minds went immediately to themselves because they all believed that they had. Each of them aren't simply sorrowful that one of them will betray Jesus, though they are. But as I read Mark, I believe each of the disciples are grieved because they believed they are the one who has betrayed Jesus. They're nervous because they've all been caught red-handed. They fall into distress because they've all been ousted. Their treason could not be hidden from Jesus. They've been exposed. Each of the disciples believed they somehow betrayed Jesus. Judas is just the only one we know who made a commission on it. Judas is remembered as the betrayer, but the rest of the twelve all felt equally as guilty of betrayal against the Son of God. They could all be called traitors just as much as Judas. Mark does not let them off the hook so easily. And in the end, Mark will show this more explicitly when they will all eventually flee and desert Christ after he is arrested in, in the Garden of Gethsemane. Even hotshot goody-two-shoes Simon Peter is not immune from double-crossing Jesus when he will deny being associated with Christ three times. All of the Son of God's friends and disciples betrayed him. And little do they realize that the Son of God, what he will go through in a matter of hours because of their disloyalty, we know it today as Good Friday. As I've been reflecting upon the passion of our Lord this year, I kept coming back to that question. Is it I? And can I cannot help but voice that same question myself, to put myself at the table with Christ, to ask Jesus personally, is it I? Am I the betrayer? Am I responsible for the events of Good Friday to take place? Am I to blame for the Son of God being handed over to be humiliated, tortured, and killed? Am I guilty of putting Jesus on that cross? And like all the disciples in Mark's gospel, who all feel a general sense of culpability for being the feasible betrayer, I find myself joining them saying, is it I? And as I was reflecting on that question, the more I began to realize that I have betrayed Jesus. The only finger I can point at is at myself. And I believe the same goes for you too. 
The fact of the matter is, and there's no way around it, you and I betrayed the Son of God. We're no better than Judas or any of the twelve. Every person is responsible for the Son of God being crucified. All of humanity is to be held to blame that Good Friday had to happen at all. I can't sugarcoat it any other way. I can't figure out any other answer. It is because of us, our actions, our wrongdoings, our sin, our betrayal against the holy God that sentenced Jesus to agony and death. Is it I? Yes, it is. But as I fidget at the table with the disciples contemplating this, as I wrestle with the ramifications of this question, I look up and I see the Son of God staring back at me as he did each of the twelve that night. And we lock eyes. He sees in my eyes the same thing he saw in theirs that night, the same thing he sees in the eyes of every human being because the Son of God saw it first in the eyes of the original humans, Adam and Eve, in the garden eons ago. He sees human betrayal. Like the disciples, I cannot conceal my betrayal. I cannot hide it. He sees my sinful heart, the things that I have done and will do. Jesus knows my open acts of betrayal, but he even knows my secret acts of betrayal, the things that nobody knows. Jesus sees them both. He sees my brokenness, my corruption, my tyranny. He sees this not only within me, but he sees this in the same thing in the eyes of every human being. And perhaps Jesus is not surprised by this. This isn't the first time that God has been betrayed by humanity and humanity tried to hide it. In the garden, the original humans betrayed God. They were in a perfect relationship with God and one another, created in his image and likeness no less. And even given the tremendous honor of partaking and partnering with God to be stewards of his creation, they walked and talked in the garden with God as close friends. But it did not take long for deception to creep into their hearts. And one day, these friends of God betrayed God. They were deceived into disobeying God's word and believing another. The humans thought they could keep their betrayal a secret, but God knew, and it broke his heart. And as a result, the perfect relationship between God and humanity was destroyed. But what do, I, what do my treacherous eyes see staring back at me from across the table? I see something different in Jesus' eyes. I don't see anger in his eyes. I don't see vengeance or disappointment, though those are all justified and warranted responses. No, what do I see? I see love staring back at me. A resolved love, a determined love, a gracious love, a sacrificial love. I see love staring back at me. I see in the Son of God on Good Friday, God's love finding a way to overcome human betrayal, to overcome humanity's sin, because thanks be to God, while we betrayed God, God has not betrayed us. There is no betrayal found in Jesus' heart. 
for you see is humanity's betrayal in the garden that brought the Son of God to earth in the first place. To be born in the likeness of humanity, God became flesh, and while we had betrayed God, God had not forsaken us. While we had double-crossed God, God had begun working to undo what humanity had done. While we had strayed from wanting and having a relationship with God, God never stopped loving us and desiring to be in a relationship with us again. God took the initiative and became Emmanuel, God with us, because it was what it took to repair and restore the relationship between God and humanity that we destroyed. But this restoration came at a cost, a terrible cost, a price that humanity could not pay and quite honestly was not willing to pay, but God was. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God was willing to do all that was necessary to justify humanity of their penalty of sin, to cleanse us of our sin nature, and to liberate us from sin's power so that we can live in harmony and union with God and one another once again with no risk of betrayal ever again. And we do not deserve any of this, but that's why it's been said it's called amazing grace. That's what I see in the eyes of Jesus on Good Friday. Jesus knew going into Good Friday what needed to be done. He knew why he was sent. He knew what was propelling him to the cross. And he still chose the path of self-sacrifice on our behalf. He could have betrayed us, but he refused. And I've heard it said that it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to that old rugged cross. It was his love for sinners that did. And now, like the prodigal, we are all welcomed back with open arms by a loving God. Every human being, every man and woman is invited to participate and be in a personal friendship with God in light of what Jesus has accomplished. While we betrayed the Son of God, the Son of God has not betrayed us either then or since. He did not flinch when the time came, and he willingly took our sin upon himself and gave us his righteousness. And by his wounds, we are healed. Now we, who were once traitors and enemies of God, are reconciled to God and made into friends and family with the Lord Almighty. Not only this day, but forever and ever. Amen.